This week on the Fraternity Sorority Life podcast, Wendy Kinney joins us for a conversation about long-term service in Fraternity Sorority Life. Always in the back of my mind um, is always the, you know, am I still effective? Am I still able to contribute in a meaningful way? Am I still driving something from the work? And her work and experiences with local fraternities and sororities. The local group being entirely self-governing, you know, we can have those conversations or do the educational training, um, and and they can make the changes that they feel they need to make almost immediately, uh, and and only need their own permission, and, you know, sometimes they'll ask alumni, or or they may even give that feedback to their immediate alumni, but they largely understand that they, as the undergraduates, um, you know, kind of control the future, the current, the present, and the future of their organization, and, and can do that. Hello, and welcome to the Fraternity Sorority Life podcast. I'm your host, Matt Deeg, and I want to thank you for joining me each episode for some curiosity and a healthy dose of nerdiness. This podcast is a labor of joy and love for me, especially as I'm not engaged in the day-to-day of FSL, but rather cheerlead now from afar. As Adam commented in our last episode, I've started a PhD program focused primarily on organizational behavior and human resource management. Lots of businessy things, I know. But here's the fun part. There's plenty of room for application of these concepts to the fraternity sorority life world. In Adam's work, he talked about using organizational socialization as a way to understand fraternity and sorority new member processes. This morning, for me, I was reading about building strategic leadership competencies. We like leadership in fraternities, right? The author I was reading, Glenn Rowe, noted that there are really three approaches to leadership in an organization, managerial, visionary, and strategic. Now, I know we automatically recoil at the idea of a managerial leader. We, in fact, teach our students that they don't want to be managers. We want them to be leaders. It feels so administrative and cold. But here's the thing. Without that competency, the day-to-day of an organization would get lost. Now, we love the visionary leader, that student who has grand ambitions of change and relevance within their chapter. We teach them how to do this at institutes and conferences and seminars. Our focus is to build visionary leaders. But how often do we help students marry the two? I think with every leadership and suitor conference I've seen, we always focus on that visionary piece. Sometimes we'll have some sessions about doing the work, right? Here's how to fill out the paperwork. Here's how to manage and administer the day-to-day of your chapter. But rarely do we combine the two. This guy wrote, though, notes that both managerial and visionary leadership come together to create the most effective leader in what he calls the strategic leader. See, we've got to get better at developing students and ourselves to not only be innovators, challengers, dreamers, and visionaries, we've got to also start equipping them with the tools to get things done within their roles. It's no good to the individuals in their organizations if they just sit around dreaming. They, and we, have to be able to put those dreams into action through the work of the organization. I'll stop here then and leave you with a quote from Stephen Ross, former chairman and co-CEO of Time Warner. There are three categories of people. The person who goes into the office, puts his feet up on his desk, and dreams for 12 hours. The person who arrives at 6 a.m., works for 16 hours, never once stopping to dream. And the person who puts his feet up, dreams for an hour, then does something about those dreams. My dream and hope is that we work on building that last person in Fraternity Sorority Life. And now, our guest for the day. Wendy Kinney has worked at SUNY Geneseo since 2001, mostly with fraternity and sorority life, but also with off-campus students. 
She currently serves as the Assistant Dean of Students for Fraternal Life and Off-Campus Services. She has served as Executive Director for the Northeast Greek Leadership Association and received the Sue Craft Fusel Distinguished Service Award from the Association of Fraternity Sorority Advisors in 2015. I spoke with Wendy earlier this semester, and here's our conversation. Hey, Wendy, how are you? I'm great, Matt. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, happy to. Awesome. Well, hey, let's start off with, you know, I think this is an easy question. I love um, the stories of people, and you've been doing this work for over 15 years now. Um, it's, hard to, it's hard to date you or whatever, but... Um, and you've done them all at SUNY Geneseo, which is really awesome. And I've been to that campus before, and it's beautiful, um, right in, like, upper New York and, and absolutely lovely. But what drew you and draws you to fraternity sorority life? Like, what brought you into that, and then why have you continued to stay? Yeah, so, yes, I've been at, at Geneseo for 15 years. Um, prior to that, I had worked for two years at Sigma Kappa National Headquarters. I was the Associate Director of Finance there. Um, and it was during my time at headquarters that I heard about um, an opening at Geneseo for um, Greek Advisor. Uh, Coordinator of Greek Affairs was the title at the time. Um, and Rochester area is um, home for me. And so um, I had decided kind of more on a whim than anything else to um, send, submit my materials and throw my hat in the ring for consideration. Um, partly I was curious if my uh, skills from having worked at a headquarters, having been a leadership consultant, you know, were those skills marketable um, in higher education? Um, and also, again, an opportunity um, potentially to, to move back home. Um, I didn't have a master's degree in higher ed at the time. It's something that I worked on once um, I started here at Geneseo. Um, so it was really just kind of a, a, an opportunity that um, sort of fell into my, my lap. Um, you know, once I got here, you know, you mentioned having visited this place and that it's uh, really pretty. Um, the, the Genesee Valley area is beautiful. Um, New York being home and the Rochester area being home, I was kind of returning a little bit to my roots. Um, but there's something about this campus and the students um, that keep people here. I have a, a coworker who is our leadership development guru, um, and he's worked here for 49 years. Wow. Um, and he's not unique in that. Um, people come here, whether it's faculty or staff, um, who tend to stay uh, for you know most of their career. And, um, you know, the students are just um, really fascinating and interesting and, and the, the campus being so beautiful and um, small community that's very supportive of the college. And so it's really been a great place to, to stay. Um, certainly was attracted to working in fraternity sorority life and felt that I had something to, to contribute. And I think in addition to kind of the, the place and the people, um, the, I feel like the work is still a work in progress. Um, when I started here 15 years ago, uh, I my first day on the job was about halfway through um, the new member education process in the spring semester. And um, quite frankly, I walked on campus and said, oh my, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> um, clear, very early on, there was a, a, an enormous amount of work to be done. Um, and I feel like I, I haven't finished that yet. Um, so even through the 15 years, um, I feel like there's still some things that, that 
I can contribute. I feel like there's still some things that I can learn, um, which to me is an important part of, of the work. Um, and I think that I can still be effective. Um, so, you know, always in the back of my mind um, is always the, you know, am I still effective? Am I still able to contribute in a meaningful way? Am I still driving something from the work? Um, I'm typically not a person with a, a five or ten year plan and knows what that, you know, next step is going to be. But, but those are kind of my guiding um, principles as far as, you know, staying in a position. And um, I, I think I have a sense of I'll know when it's time. Um, and I haven't, haven't reached that yet. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I love that, you know, you're looking and saying there's still more work to be done. And what a, what a great opportunity for you where you love the environment and you love the area and there's still work to be done, right? Like, mm-hmm. Because I think so much of the time, those two don't happen for professionals at the same point. And so we either feel like, oh, we, we've done all that we can, or we really hate the area that we're placed in. Um, sure, and sure. so, you know, we, we then leave. But having a dedicated staff member there for 15 years, constantly trying to make the community better, is really a blessing to the Geneseo groups. And to me as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to have, sure. you know, to ha- to be in that environment, you know, and to um, to feel that more often than not, um, I'm supported in the work that I do. And um, like many fraternity sorority professionals, I'm an office of one. Um, and to feel that even though most days I'm kind of going it alone, um, I do have the support of my supervisor and and his supervisor. Um, to, to do the work that, that I believe needs to be done. Um, you know, there's a lot of autonomy. They've placed a lot of faith in me and kind of see me as kind of the, the content area expert. Um, and, and so that has allowed me to really craft the role um, and, and do what I feel is best for the community. Yeah, and that supportive supervisor is also really important in, in helping Absolutely. us do our work, work better. So one of the things you mentioned kind of at the beginning of your story is wanting to see if your skills and knowledge from working at the headquarters translated over and if they were marketable and I'm not sure I've ever gotten a chance to ask anybody this on the on the podcast but how what is the difference like how did it feel making that jump from headquarters staff over on to you know constant interaction with students sure sure um you know so certainly my my campus that I work at is um unique or somewhat unique in that there's a large proportion of local fraternities and sororities on campus. We do have some national organizations, but but they, um, particularly when I started, um, were in the minority and, and have continued to be. Um, and so I know that the institution itself was looking for someone that had um, some, some background knowledge of kind of the operational workings of fraternities and sororities and was hoping that someone could kind of bring that to the institution. Um, so I think, you know, particularly having been a leadership consultant and having in, in my role as the um, associate director of finance, I did a lot of chapter visits um, as well. And so having been to a large number of um, college campuses and seeing how recruitment is different and just how um, the culture is different on so many different campuses, I think that that perspective um, 
helped me to understand um, and to draw from a lot of different places and a lot of different practices and experiences. Um, I wasn't coming with a singular vision. You know, I wasn't coming here with only my own undergraduate experience um, and wanting to kind of impart that experience to these students. I, I had a pretty, um, you know, wide range of, of understanding of what it could look like um, and what it could be like to, to bring here. Um, what I found certainly challenging was, you know, I, I didn't have a, a, a large understanding of, you know, higher education and, um, you know, the student affairs um, system and how it worked. Uh, I guess maybe one of the nice things was even though I was working for a, a state institution, um, I had a budget, <laughs> a bigger budget um, than I had when I worked for a headquarters. Um, and so even though my budget's not that great, I felt like, wow, I have some resources to work with. Um, and, and that was a, a, a new experience, um, having a little bit more funding to work with than I, than I had previously. Um, student development theory was something that you know, I didn't have a background and understanding of, and, and while um, it's not something that I, I speak of and draw on every single day, it's certainly um, that once I got that education was helpful to kind of understanding um, the students and student experience. Um, so there were some kind of fish out of water, you know, things, um, certainly in, in those early days um, that you know, time and experience, and yes, going back and getting my master's degree were, were helpful. Yeah, I, I like the comment you made about not just having your experience, but, you know, a myriad of experiences to draw from with all the different campus visits and seeing how, you know, one chapter may have done it here, but then a completely different chapter, but still part of the same national organization behaved, you know, completely differently. And so you weren't trying to just say, okay, this is what fraternity sorority life is. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of coming, you know, with a, there's one way for it to be done. Um, and I think that that helped me on a campus that, you know, is so vastly different from right. many. Um, you know, when I was hired, the uh, national organizations on our campus were concerned that I was going to rat them out to all of their national <laughs> staff <laughs> and get them in trouble, that my job was going to be get them in trouble, particularly my Sigma Kappa chapter, having, you know, worked for Sigma Kappa, I think their number <laughs> one concern was I was going to get them in trouble. And all of the local organizations were fearful that I was going to make them all go national. Um, so, you know, neither side of the coin was particularly excited, right. um, you know, to, to have me. And, and again, having been exposed to um, a myriad of ways that students can experience fraternity sorority life, you know, helped me um, communicate with the students um, about what, you know, my goals were here and what I was hoping to help them accomplish, um, and that really it wasn't a singular path and that this is what your experience needs to look like. Right, and I really, I love that adaptability, and, and I think it certainly did serve you well with the with both sides of the of the coin with the nationals and locals and that's one of the reasons why i really wanted to reach out to you i know you know when i was finishing up my masters and applying for jobs one of the schools i applied to had some local organizations no they were all local organizations mm -hmm. and you know even now i'm like i don't really like we don't get to work with them we don't really mm -hmm. talk much about local organizations um and so 
help me and and you know many of the listeners probably don't have this opportunity either help us understand kind of the story behind local organizations local fraternities and sororities yeah sure so particularly in new york state and the suny system um in the um 50s and 60s, there was a New York State ban on national organizations um, at the kind of heightened time of discriminatory practices regarding um, individuals of color, um, regarding non-Christian students. Um, The state believed and, you know, certainly would support this, um, that groups that discriminate um, in their membership were not welcome on state campuses. And so every one of our SUNY state campuses um, had a ban on national groups. Um, So any campus at that time that had a national, um, those groups then um, either closed or adopted, you know, a local name um, and kind of reverted to being a local. Um, So that kind of, for Geneseo's campus, left us with with an interesting hybrid at the time of that ban on national organizations. We still had groups that were founded um, as local or more likely regional campus uh, chapters where they would have had um, a chapter at several other um, SUNY campuses. Largely, those were kind of loose affiliations, um, you know, to have kind of these sister or brother chapters that were an hour or two down the road, um, similar, you know, naming and, and practices, but they they never aspired um, to be national organizations with a national governance and, and structure. They just had some kind of continuity across chapters. So we had these kind of um, existing local groups. Then we had a, some groups that were national for a time being and went local and kind of self-governed. Um, New York State eventually lifted that ban, um, and we had some national groups return to our campuses Um many of those that kind of went local did not return to being a national um, chapter. Um, And to this day, there's quite a few national organizations um, who, you know, kind of in their culture have some hard feelings (laughs) with with the SUNY system um, and aren't looking, you know, to come back. Um, You know, certainly there's the potential for some baggage, you know, to have been national and then gone local. Do they want to kind of take that local culture, um, back into the fold and so many of those groups remained local and the national groups that came were brand new um, chapters who had not had chapters at SUNY campuses or or at Geneseo Um, and then for my campus in the 90s uh, we had a period of time where several of our fraternities uh, chose to disaffiliate from their national organization heightened time of of risk management issues, lots of new risk management policies, um, you know, FIPG standards coming into place, um, increasing insurance premiums uh, for the men's groups. And so quite a a number of our groups had said, you know, we're looking on the the return on investment. We're sending all of this money to national. The only thing we're getting in exchange are rules to follow, um, you know, at least in their 18 and 19 year old minds, you know, that's how they saw it is we, we send you money. You give us a hard time for not following the rules. There are these other local groups that are doing just fine. Um, and are self-governing that looks appealing. So let's do that. Um, and there really wasn't anything at our institution, um, at the time that required these groups to, you know, maintain a, a national affiliation. Um, so some of our groups went and, and voluntarily chose to be local. 
Um, so I have this interesting hybrid. Um, you know, some of my original local organizations were founded in the um, 1870s, 1880s, and, and still exist today and have had, you know, continual um, relationship with our institution. And so when you have groups that are, uh, you know, 130, 140 years old, um, you know, they look at our national groups and say, well, my local was founded before your national. Right. Um, and so um, it, it lends itself to a very interesting culture on our campus with, um, you know, a, a unique history and a, and a long-standing history with our institution. Yeah, I think that's your story about the 1950s, right? It sounds like almost some of the locals were born out of a, a necessity to continue that fraternal experience for its members, right? Because they couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, they couldn't belong to the national groups anymore, but then, you know, there's some that have just existed because they were founded and they never went national. Um, mm-hmm. So, wow. Um, what does the, what's the difference or is there a difference in like how you advise them or govern them or work with them versus how you might work with some of the national groups? Sure. Um, Certainly there is. You know, I tell people I'm I'm the headquarters for 17 local organizations. Right. Um, you know, some have um, alumni corporations and alumni advisory boards, but, but not all of them do. Um, and even those that do, there's varying levels of, of support and relationships that either the undergraduates have with those alumni or that the institution has with those alumni. Um, and so, you know, I definitely have adopted that strategy of, you know, I am – the headquarters for these organizations and so what types of programs and services and, and support and advisement um, do headquarters provide to their um, to their chapters um, and how can my office or other offices in this institution provide those those services and resources so that's helping you know the locals connect with our um, alumni and parent relations so that they can continue to further develop their you know alumni network um, that could be access to updated email addresses and mailing lists um, help with planning alumni reunions and anniversary events and founding dates. Um, it, you know, as one example, um, membership database has certainly become really important to right. tracking who members are because then that, again, feeds our alumni database. And so for our, the local chapters to have a, an accurate um, listing of who their members are, um, how many members do they have, what does their membership trends look like, um, so, you know, that data, uh, database and data tracking um, is, is really important. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously the advisement and guidance, you know, that's where my involvement with, um, you know, AFA, with NGLA, with just other colleagues across the country has been really important is knowing what, you know, what are the trends um, in fraternity story life because these local organizations um, don't have access to that information um, and to the programming. And so when I think of, you know, updated hand- officer handbooks, you know, I certainly know when I worked for Sigma Kappa, you know, every couple of years the, the officer handbooks would be updated and, and refreshed and made more modern and incorporate new trends in the field and local groups don't get that. Right. And so how do I, you know, make sure that that information is provided? You know, particularly my groups that, um, were national and then voluntarily went local in the 90s, it's easy for them to say, well, I still have this handbook, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, I, I, you know, I have the how to be a pledge master from, you know, 
1991, um, and I'm still using that today. Okay, well, you you have to understand that that national organization, um, I can guarantee, does not still have that handbook um, and, and operates that way. And so helping them um, to, to maintain that level of currency, um, you know, they don't have an opportunity to go to conventions and conclaves and officer academies. Um, you know, every year, every other year. And so how can I make sure that they're having access to those resources? And that could be, again, NGLA or sending them to UIFI or um, partnering with other Rochester area schools when we do programming or bringing in speakers. Um, So that's kind of the perspective that I've had to take with working with that population is, you know, how do I help them maintain their relevancy at Geneseo um, when they really don't have access to... um, paid staff who are helping them, you know, with that. Um, On a day-to-day kind of operational basis, there isn't much difference. Um, I think the student experience is um, pretty similar regardless of whether a student joins a local or a national. You know, they're they're functioning across that, that community in a very similar fashion. Certainly our policies and expectations for them um, are the same. So there is a lot of um, similarity and continuity uh, in that regard. I think where I derive um, a certain level of benefit from local organizations is that they're very nimble. Um, You know, the national groups truly are kind of a a franchise of that national corporation, you know, in that business aspect, which sometimes makes them slower to change. Um, You know, feeling that there are multiple layers of permissions that they may need to get in order to do things a little bit differently. Whereas the local group being entirely self-governing, um, you know, we can have those conversations or do the educational training um, and, and they can make the changes that they feel they need to make almost immediately right. uh, and, and only need their own permission. And, you know, sometimes they'll ask alumni or, or they may even give that feedback to their immediate alumni, but they largely understand that they as the undergraduates um, you know, kind of control the future, the current, the present and the future of their organization and and can do that. And, um, you know, perfect example of that is in the 2014-2015 academic year, we spent a lot of time educating our chapters about um, transgender inclusive membership policies, Um, you know, education on terminology and, and really reflecting on, okay, you all have a membership eligibility requirement. What does that mean for your chapter? Um, and helping them to reflect on, you know, what does it say? What do you wish it said? Um, and how can you best communicate um, to non-members who is and who isn't eligible for membership in your organization? What does that mean for current members and maintaining their membership within your organization and certainly alumni and maintaining their membership in your organization? Um, And um, we're a relatively progressive um, campus and our students were very interested in making some changes and to being more welcoming um, and being more clear. You know, a lot of them, even if they didn't want to to make a lot of changes to their policies, they very much understood how important it was to be very clear in their language um, about who is and isn't eligible for membership or to maintain membership. And, you know, the local groups, it was easy for them to call a chapter meeting, have a discussion, um, maybe consult with their alumni a little bit, and then vote for a policy change. Right. Um, and pretty much universally, all of my national groups 
um, had the discussion at the chapter level, um, were very interested in making some changes, and then had to seek multiple levels of permission and, and get feedback. And um, so that was a much slower process that um, they were more frustrated with that because um, they knew what they wanted to do and didn't necessarily have the authority or the autonomy to do it. And that's exactly where my brain was going when you mentioned that. And I think it's fascinating that, yeah, you can make that switch and they can say, we want to create these organizations that fit our personal character. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, not, I love our national organizations, but they do move a lot slower than mm-hmm. I think sometimes our undergraduate student members would want them to. And so, you know, how can we help to move the needle in the whole fraternal movement when everything takes time and takes processes and, and whatnot. And I had another question about this. Um, and you know, with the whole transgender inclusive thing, I know the big conversation that always comes up is, you know, how does this affect title nine eligibility, right? The title nine exemption thing, um, that we have from the DOE, et cetera, et cetera. Are local organizations, do they have that same status or not? Um, my understanding is that, that they do, and again, many of ours, um, almost all of them are, um, you know, incorporated in the state of New York um, and recognized as fraternal organizations. Um, gotcha. Many of them have um, alumni uh, corporations that are also incorporated in the state of New York, and so, um, you know, our understanding is, um, you know, that they, they fall under the same um, fraternity sorority exemption status that national organizations would have um and we certainly you know read a lot of the interpretations and and, um right about the policy and the exemptions and so really um there have not been any concerns um either from our undergraduates or from their alumni about you know what would that mean and would those um changes jeopardize them in any way awesome no and i think it's fantastic that you're having those conversations with the students and, and helping them to create those policies to be as inclusive as they possibly can to provide that fraternal experience to those folks, anyone really who fits in with the values of the organization. So that's really yeah. awesome. Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of our goals too was to really make sure that, you know, the information about membership eligibility was accessible to students. We didn't want um, potential members to, um, you know, have to out themselves and, and, you know, seek five different offices or two different, you know, student officers or contact national um, to get that information. We wanted them to be able to, um, you know, access the information and, and know for themselves, here is where my membership, you know, is eligible and here where, where I'm not um, and, and find, you know, kind of register for recruitment knowing full well what that process is going to look like for them. And, you know, and conversely, we didn't want our chapters to get to the point of membership selection discussions and then not knowing, you know, whether right. they had the authority um, or whether it fit in their policy and for consistency purposes, you know, so that they weren't making a decision about um, an individual in that moment because it was based on that person, um, but because they already had a policy that would guide them in that decision. Yeah, that makes sense. The The level of transparency kind of going both ways is is pretty admirable. I wish we had that like everywhere for, right. All, right. <laughs> right, for all of our and different it, you groups. Know, and, and at the end of the day, it, it's not that 
difficult, no. you know, to, to provide that. Um, and so we did encounter some, you know, some hurdles that, um, you know, were, were frustrating, but we were able to work through, you know, a lot of them. Um, and it continues to evolve and we continue to have groups that are, are revisiting their policies and, and um, amending them. So, you know, we, we haven't um, reached a point where we're like, hey, we've arrived and we're done with that work. It's, it's still ongoing. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that makes a lot of sense. The other, the other thing that I, I've always been curious about with local organizations um, is just in terms of like structure and makeup, I, you know, I'm familiar with all of our nice, happy national organizations, right? And they have, here are our specific values and here's what we try to do and um, officer structure, et cetera, et cetera. Local organizations, are they similar? I'm assuming especially the ones that split off in the 90s, they retained a lot of those similar, like, backgrounds um, and kind of mm-hmm. the foundation of fraternities and sororities. But what about some of the older ones? You know, they really do. Um, you know, four of my oldest groups were founded as literary organizations. Okay. Um, and they still, to this day, kind of retain, um, you know, the, the knowledge and understanding of, the, their ritual of why they were created of of what um, you know their their name and their colors and all of that mean um, and so most of them ha- have done a fantastic job kind of keeping that um, and some of them have gone back to kind of revise some things that have gotten lost um, right. along the way and, and have been able to reach out to alumni and, and bring back some things. Um, we've also worked with our college library has, um, you know, maintains archives for the college and we've worked with them to archive, um, histories and materials of our fraternities and sororities, um, recognizing that, you know, majority of them, um, were founded here and only exist here. Um, and, and so we've worked with, um, our archivists to, keep track of a lot of that information and um, historical documents and things that could easily get lost, ruined, damaged, or stolen (laughs) from an (laughs) off-campus house. Um, You know, how can we help preserve that? Um, So I think that that was one of the things that I actually found the most surprising when I came here was how much um, the local organizations, you know, kind of resembled my own organization and my own experience and... and, um, appreciate that they've retained all of that information you know across time and that would be so fascinating because it's almost like you said you had 17 local organizations right i do yeah yeah it's almost like you've got 17 alpha chapters there well i mean you really do yeah Um, yeah and just the, the level of history and background that they all have yes and and um you know it's it's fascinating and i love looking at you know the old pictures um, and, you know, hearing some of the information that, that, you know, the lore that they still maintain. Um, and because some of them, particularly on the sorority side, were um, had some regional chapters, I occasionally will hear from um, alumni or spouses or um, children of um, members who are at other SUNY institutions who, you know, the, the, the member has passed away and the family has um, memorabilia or composites or membership badges. <laughs> um, and most often the chapters at those other SUNY campuses don't exist any longer. Um, and they've been able to kind of trace back that the Geneseo chapter is still in existence. And, you know, would we want that? Um, you know, would we want those items? And, you yeah. know, I'm always like, well, yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Absolutely. 
absolutely, absolutely. You know that that in some way we will work with the chapter. You know to to get that. Um, you know, and certainly when you go on. Um, eBay or flea markets and, you know, paddles and pins and things show up, you can find, um, you know, some of my groups had silverware and plates and, you know, all of those things that you, you know, really think about, you know, old traditional um, fraternities and sororities, you know, my local organizations had those things as well and they occasionally turn up um, here and there and get returned to, to the chapter. That's really cool, and it's and it's cool that that's not just a, you know, this is the national thing, but it's, this is what happens when you get a group of men and women together around a common bond or a common set of ideals. Like this is kind of the natural occurrence of things. So that's really, yeah, yeah. really cool. Um, shifting gears a little bit, cause you know, I know that you, you do a lot of really good work at Geneseo, but you also don't just focus in there. Um, you, you know, you give plenty of time to advance the fraternal movement with NGLA and with the association so um, I've been doing a lot of reading about volunteerism recently and would love to hear kind of why volunteers have been so important and why you continue to volunteer to advance the movement. Sure. You know, as I, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, bringing a perspective to Geneseo of having seen fraternity sorority life elsewhere um, and kind of the range of experiences and cultures that are out there. I kind of look at volunteerism the same way. And, you know, in our profession, the fact that you have campus-based professionals, headquarter professionals, um, national volunteers, boards of directors um, who work in other industries, there's such a breadth and depth of experience, of knowledge, um, of perspectives. And so, you know, bringing all of those people together uh, um, to volunteer for the movement, um, to me, just really enriches the experience and helps us to think um, differently about the work. Um, and, and I think that that's something very unique about um, the fraternity sorority advising profession, particularly from a from a higher education and student affairs perspective. You know, I have a hard time thinking of any other functional area on a college campus where you would come together in a volunteer experience or within a professional association and be connected to people who also believe in your work or do your work or support your work, but don't work on a college campus. Um, You know, I mean, that would be like saying our NCAA athletics are connected to, you know, professional sports teams and (laughs) those people all kind of come together um, in a professional association. It's, to me, it's just something very different and unique, um, and it really enhances our work. And, you know, I certainly see it even just through social media and online involvement with people as the different perspectives that get shared. And so I think volunteering um, is an important component of that to bring together all of those different um, perspectives and minds uh, to look at how do we shape this experience for our students? How do we make it better? How do we move it forward? I love that. And I think you're right with the idea that, you know, we have partnerships across a whole bunch of different things. Because, you know, I was thinking, I was like, okay, so we've got AFA, but, you know, there's NASPA and they have volunteers. But NASPA doesn't have folks from, like, a national headquarters because there aren't national headquarters beyond fraternity and sorority life. I mean, there are a few for some of, like, our volunteer organizations and whatnot, like Circle K and things. But, you know predominantly we're the ones where we're kind of intermingling and we're both working together to advance that movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's, that's a really cool distinction that you draw. 
what encouragement would you give to our our listeners who may have thought, oh, hey, you know, I could do something for the association, but I don't have time or I don't know what to do. Um, you know, how could we, how might you encourage them to give some of their, their time and experience to the association or to one of their regional associations like NGLA or SEPC, IFC? Sure. I think some of it is, is um, you know, to find some small but meaningful ways to get involved. And, you know, yes, there are some things, you know, being on, you know, a board of directors is going to be a significant time commitment. But there's always people who are looking for volunteers for um, short-term projects, much smaller tasks. So I think if you're realistic in um, what you're able to give um, as far as your, your time and your resources, um, there are ways for people to connect you with um, volunteer opportunities. And that could be for a specific national organization. That could Mm -hmm. be for AFA, for regional. I think there's, you know, so many different, again, because there's so many different um, uh, associations and groups at the table, there's so many ways to volunteer and to get involved. Um, And to me, you know, I've appreciated, you know, certainly we can talk about, oh, I I love to give back to something that's given me so much. Um, And that's certainly part of it, but, you know, I can't help but focus on kind of the what I get out of volunteering, um, the connection. So, yes, networking, but beyond networking. I mean, I have so many um, deep friendships, deep, meaningful friendships with people um, across the profession who I might only see them once a year, but it's kind of like family reunion. Um, you know, the, the relationship that I have with those people, um, exposure to um, a lot of different, you know, kind of greats in the industry and having a, a deeper connection with them that allows me then to contact them, email them, call them up and be like, you know, here's my challenge or can I pick your brain or, you know, can you help me out with this? You know, certainly um, work, being an office of one and, and having a relatively small programming budget, my ability over the years to kind of trade on favors um, <laughs> has been a wonderful thing for my campus. Um, and, you know, hey, if you come do this for me, I will come do that for you. Um, and, and that's been a, a huge benefit. And so I, I've benefited from my volunteerism, but my campus has too, um, and, and my students. And so I certainly have a lot of institutional support from my supervisors to to continue my volunteer work because they've seen how it's, um, you know, impacted my work, um, my own growth and development as a professional, but also what I've been able to then bring to our students uh, through those connections. Right, because you get to, I mean, if you're facilitating something, you get to learn some new approaches to things, but then also, you know, meet new new folks who might come and help your campus. Um, and I definitely, I love that you're focused, that you look at both the, you know, they've given me so much, so why would I not want to volunteer? But also, here's the continued added bonus of volunteering for me, for my campus, for my community, for all those different things. So... Um, yeah, for those for those listeners, I think volunteerism is probably one of the best professional development um, opportunities we have in our association, regardless of you know the group yeah, you do it with. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think you know, um, you know, we all talk about the high burnout rate in the field and and all of those things, and mm-hmm. so I think being able to. Um, be involved in the profession outside of your own campus or your own headquarters that you work at gives you an outlet. Um, 
for those things too because usually your volunteer work really is kind of feeding your soul um you're not volunteering and doing you know boring or stressful things typically right. it's you know it's, it's a positive experience and so sometimes when you're you know recruitment is dragging on and you're working that 80 hour week or you know you have your eighth risk management issue um you know, on a Monday to have something that um, is very positive and uplifting and that you feel you're you're making a contribution because the reality is that some days and some semesters you, you leave work feeling like I'm not making a dent, I'm not making that contribution and so there's an opportunity to feel like yes, but here's where my work feels meaningful um, and so I think that that can be in, inspiring and, um, and again for being here for 15 years, yes, I came to this campus with a perspective of what fraternity and sorority life looked like at other places, but once I've been here for 15 years, I, it, you lose sight of that. Um, and so my volunteerism also connects me to other individuals um, who continue to refresh me about what the fraternity and sorority experience life is outside of the Geneseo bubble. Um, right. And you need that. You know, oh, yeah. you get stuck in the day-to-day, um, you know, and the cyclical nature of the work and again whether you're on a campus or at a headquarters you fall into those patterns and so to be able to be exposed to um, other ways of doing things and and other skill sets and other ideas helps me um, keep Geneseo 15 years later still feeling you know fresh and new and that there's things that I can contribute yeah for sure I I'm thinking some of the volunteer experiences where I've been chatting with professionals at like lunchtime or whatever and I'm like, oh, wait a second. That's a really cool idea. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, or last year flying back from the AFADU GSI trip and me and John DeSaro were sitting in an airport and I know, you know, he's up in your area and Mm -hmm. we were kicking around a leadership program and just like brainstorming what this could look like. And that was, you know, possibly the most fun I've had in a while, just like dreaming something that he could take back to his campus and do. Um, And so... Yeah, I I love that and the rejuvenating aspect that it has. And I think you've also um, been a a really fun model for me to watch on on social media around, like, rejuvenation and not being just a one-sided professional. Um, You know, I know that I can log on and as I'm scrolling through, I'll see, oh, look, Wendy's out at the soccer field again and and talking about (laughs) reffing reffing those little kids and, and, and whatnot. But... Um, have you seen this help you in your work at all? Like having kind of all these other things, I would, I won't call them distractions, but just, I don't even know what to call them. Hobbies, things that are important to you beyond work, um, kids, soccer, refing, whatever those other things are that I might not get to see. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, sanity savers. Um, for sure. Like, I, I think, you know, I can easily say that, you know, fraternity sorority life is a, is a passion of mine. I, I wouldn't be doing the work for as long as I have if I wasn't, you know, invested in it. Right. But I don't want to only have that singular focus and that singular passion. And, and again, when you have kind of the day-to-day routine and kind of um, the mundaneness that comes with that um, or the stress of the work, to have a reason to have to leave the office um, or a reason that you have to say no to yeah. a request um, because you have a conflicting obligation. Um, you know, initially early in my career, that was getting a dog. You know, I had to be, someone had to be home to let the dog out. Right. Um, and, you know, and um, 
finding those things that were interests of, of mine early on. You know, I, I sang with a community choral group because I, you know, um, enjoyed singing. It was something that I liked as part of my high school experience. And so to, to kind of reconnect to that other part of my brain, um, now that I have kids, how can I get involved in the things that my kids enjoy doing? Um, and, you know, I can honestly say with soccer, you know, coaching nine and 10 year old girls, um, is an entirely different skill set than working <laughs> with 18 to 22 year old college students. Um, and it's very refreshing and, um, you know, having, uh, very different conversations, not with, with just those students or how you approach, you know, youth is going to be so much different than, um, you know, young adults, but connecting with their parents and their families, uh, and, you know, having them ask me, you know, about the work that I do, but then, you know, me learning what they do and making those connections, you know, you never know um, who you're going to meet and, and what you can learn from that person or how they might be able to provide um, something of benefit to to you or to your campus. And so, um, you know, even being able to say, oh, hey, this parent has this particular, you know, career connection, that's awesome. I can use that in my work. Um and so, and some days it's just great to be out there and spend several hours doing something entirely unrelated, you know, to my work. Yeah. yeah and I think it, I love the idea of just having something to give you kind of that separation from it and, mm-hmm. and the excuse to, to not be at the office until 10 o'clock every night. Um, cause we could, right. And that's, and that's why we all burn out is because we're just <laughs> constantly doing it and not separating ourselves and taking time to play and, and relax and, and whatnot. So, yeah. And to, you know, and to have, um, you know, administrators and students see that you have built right. a life for yourself outside of your job. Um, you know, much like little kids when they run into their teacher at the grocery store, you know, and they're like, wait, you grocery shop, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> they only see that person in, in one environment, you know, for my students to know that, um, I have this enriching life outside of them. Um, but it also provides another opportunity to, to connect and to relate that our conversations aren't strictly about fraternity and sorority life, that I'm not, a, you know, a one-dimensional person. I can talk right. to you about a whole lot of other things. And, you know, so to find that person who's like, oh, I, you know, I played sports. Let's talk about sports. Let's right. connect about other things um, to, to um, have a deeper connection, you know, with my students. And, um, you know, though my kids are a little bit older. I, I bring them to things and bring them to programs and, so for them to see that, you know, I, I have a life outside of them <laughs> is, is an important part of it, too. Right. Well, Wendy, I really, you know, as everything that you've said today makes me really appreciate kind of the intentionality that you've taken to the work that you've been doing and and to really the life that you lead, um, you know, intentionality and in working at SUNY and volunteering with um, the different organizations and different groups and all of your outside work to really make yourself a continually developing, continuing, continually impactful professional. And so you know, I want to thank you for just the efforts that you take to, to advance our movement. And thank you for sharing kind of your story and, and some, a lot of really good information about local organizations. That I don't think many people really knew or understand, understood. I certainly was like, okay, I got this. This makes a lot more sense now. So um, I really appreciate that. Well, you're welcome, and I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to chat with you today. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. You're very welcome. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. 
and that's our show for the day. I want to thank you again for tuning in for some curiosity and conversation around fraternity story life. And as always, if you have comments or thoughts about this episode or others, tweet at me, at Matt Deeg, or leave a comment on iTunes or on the blog. Until our next episode, stay curious.